going to talk about the most beautiful place imaginable. And to just get us thinking about that, I, I want to show you a picture of a very beautiful place here in Austin. This is the oasis looking out over Lake Travis. And uh, if you've ever been there, I have had so many great memories there. Now, this is just a 2D representation, right? If I could actually show you 3D, you could turn to your right, and, and over on the right are these gorgeous cliffs just dropping down into the lake, and they're mansions. You've seen them, right? These gorgeous mansions lining the cliffs along there. And if you look to your left, you look out over all these decks and scenic statues and just beautiful. Uh, if, if we could move into a four-dimensional experience, I could tell you about time there that I've spent. Uh, how many nights my family has enjoyed after being a, a day on the lake up there laughing together and celebrating the fun we had and music. Just, you know, there's music playing and, and we were dancing and enjoying each other in so much love. And I, I watched my daughter get in, engaged at this very spot. So many memories and yet, all I can show you is this flat, two-dimensional representation. Now, think about this for a second. As earth is to heaven, is like this two-dimensional flat representation of the oasis to all my real-life experiences there. Do you see that? And, and in this series, we're trying uh, to, to show... Uh, what heaven might actually be like. But what you have to realize, and you've probably heard it through the stories, is that there aren't really words that you can put into two dimensions that can describe a four-dimensional experience. And, and so we see that all the beauty and wonder and love and life of earth in reality is all a flat, black and white representation of a very real multi-dimensional beauty and love and life experience that God has prepared for all who love him, who all who want to be with him. Now, uh, some of you may still be skeptical about this, all right? Even after hearing, you know, professionals who have nothing to gain and credibility to lose, like uh, spinal surgeons that we've interviewed up here and Next week, a college professor, and this week, an airline captain and, and pastors. And, and that's why I've actually included 120 different stories in Imagine Heaven, so that you can see that, you know, this is either something amazing or this is, this is the biggest conspiracy ever formed in history, because they're all saying the same thing, and it lines up with what God has told us through the scriptures all along. But, you know, some people are still going to be skeptical, and they're going to say, come on, really? An invisible place that is wonderful and beautiful? Isn't that just in your imagination? I, you know, and, and many times when people are skeptical, they say, I believe in science. I believe in things observable. But what's ironic about that is that science is actually pointing us to the probability of heaven more and more. You know, uh, James Jeans, who is a famous uh, physicist at Cambridge and, and Princeton, wrote this. The stream of knowledge is headed toward a non-mechanical reality. The universe begins to look more like a great thought than like a machine. And it's interesting. In physics, the, the uh, excuse me, Kaluza-Klein theory is, is a unified field theory of electromagnetism and, and, and grav the gravitational force that postulates an unseen fifth dimension in order for it to, to work. 
Or Brian Greene writes in The Elegant Universe about how quantum theory, what we observe in quantum mechanics and what we observe in general relativity, only fit together if there are six hidden dimensions to space. Now stop and think about that. If our science, our observations in science points us to there having to be hidden dimensions in order for all our observations to make sense, why is it so hard to postulate heaven in extra dimensions beyond us and all around us? And that's what people who have had near-death experiences or NDEs uh, talk about. People who have clinically died and yet been resuscitated describe to their amazement how alive they feel, like they've never felt so good. And, and they talk about how they don't even know they're dead. They, they, they have a body and they, with heightened senses, and yet they look at their lifeless body. They observe it from above many times. And then many people talk about how then they head down a tunnel, or some describe it as a path. Dr. Mary Neal in the first week described it as this beautiful path. Others describe it as this dark tunnel or a bright tunnel. Others describe it as going through what seemed like outer space, but on a path. And I, in the book, Imagine Heaven, I postulate maybe this is like going through what Einstein said was a, a wormhole, going from one dimensionality, our dimensionality, into the dimensionality of heaven. I don't know. But what I do know is what they describe as beautiful beyond words. You know, Paul... The apostle, who I, I talked about in week one, probably had some kind of near-death vision of heaven, says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. No eye is seen, no ear is heard, no mind is imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. He says it's better than you can imagine, but you ought to try to imagine it. Because God has revealed these things by his spirit so that we will live not for this life that is going to pass away. You can't hold on to it. So we will live for the life to come. And one of the things we've probably never considered is all the things we really love about this life, they come from God. And that world is not going to be completely different. It's just going to be even better. You know, like that song we sang in the verse that Lauren read, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. I mean, think about that. If all the beauty and the wonder and the glory we see on earth is just a finger pointing toward the glory of the creator who made it, then why would you think that the world where things actually go according to God's way and will would be less beautiful, less tangible, less real, less vibrant? You know, the reality is this world is a wounded, marred version of God's creation. Heaven is what we knew this, this world should always be. In fact, it says in Romans 8, 19, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. In a couple weeks, I'll explain why. Why that was actually God's mercy and love to do that. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation is groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Earth and this life, for all its beauty and love and wonder, labors, right? 
We feel it. We experience it. Labors under famine and disease and hurt and decay and death and destruction. This is not the place to live for. But there is a place for us. And it's more beautiful. It's more glorious. It's more real and tangible than you've ever imagined. You know, uh, last week I interviewed Don Piper, who was run over by an 18-wheeler, pronounced dead by EMS, took them 90 minutes uh, to get him out of the car. It was so squashed. And he was dead for 90 minutes. And uh, the first week I interviewed Dr. Mary Neal, spine surgeon, who her, her kayak got lodged under a waterfall, and she was dead for 30 minutes. And yet both of them talk about how alive they were and the beauty they saw on the other side. Listen. So take us back to that day. You saw the 18-wheeler come. What was the next memory you had? Well, I took my last breath on the bridge, and I was, uh, my next breath was at one of the 12 gates of heaven. I'm looking through the gates. I'm looking down the street. There is a river that flows from this this throne or this hill that's high and lifted up. And I know that's the river of life because we're told that it flows from the throne of God. So uh, many of the things that we know and enjoy and love here uh, are visible there as well. Um, I would say this, and, and um, heaven's never going to be less than this. It's always going to be more. Yeah. In heaven, it's all big. I mean, it, it so far transcends any words that we can happen that we could come up with here. If you want to talk about uh, uh, meadows and flowers and beauty, and if you want to talk about Did trees. Did you see that? Oh, yes. They're just magnificent, except that they are so brilliant and so vivid as to really dis defy description. So you live in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, one of the most beautiful places on earth. How did that compare to the, this beautiful path leading to heaven? One of the problems that I and most people had when they came back from a near-death experience is that even the most intense beauty here on earth, even the most intense love here on earth is very, very pale in comparison to the intensity of the love and to the intensity of the beauty in God's world. Everything was far more intense. The colors were beyond anything we could ever experience here. More real, more alive, more beautiful than anything we could imagine. And you know, last week we talked about how what God is doing is he's, he's creating a family, a family of families out of everybody who turns to him and trusts him. And he wants to take us to live together with him forever. And you know, after we talked about that last week, I had people come up and say, you know, well, what about my pets? Will my pets be there? Maybe because sometimes it's easier to love our pets than our families, right? <laughs> that would be easier. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you know what, though? To, to be honest, it's like, yes. All that God created is going to be alive and renewed. In fact, Isaiah gives us this, this vision of, of this life to come in heaven. Isaiah eleven six. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Yeah, of course. Everything we loved, everything God's created 
It gets renewed. And this is what God is doing. This is what he was doing through his Messiah, through Jesus. He was restoring what was lost to him back to him, but not against our will. See, what Jesus was doing was removing every barrier between humans and God, every barrier except one, our pride. He won't take away your free will. And, and, and what he's doing is everyone who turns back to him and receives his forgiveness and is restored right with God, he says, not only is he leading us right with God and right with each other, but in harmony with all creation, the way we knew it should be. And you know what's fascinating? is right after God says that to Isaiah, he gives a sign. A sign to know that the God who says this is true and the heaven he promises is real. Look at what it says in Isaiah 11, right after that. It says, in that day, the root of Jesse, stands for Messiah, will stand as a banner for all the peoples. The nations will rally to him. His resting place, Jerusalem, will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time and reclaim the surviving remnant of his people, of the Jewish people he's talking about. He will raise a banner or a sign for the nations, and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. The God who promises heaven and the beauty of heaven says he will show a sign to all the nations. And he's shown many signs in history, but this one's phenomenal. In 1948, Israel was not a nation. In fact, the Jewish people had no nation, no land, no king, no government, and they were spread across the globe. And that had happened in 70 AD. Jesus said, 40 years before the Romans wiped out Jerusalem, he said, because you've rejected me and crucified your Messiah, you know, this, this city and temple is going to be destroyed and you'll be scattered across the globe. And for 2,000 years, that was true. But God said, as a sign to all the nations, I'm going to regather them. 1948. Right after the Holocaust, 1948, all of a sudden Jews from all over the globe come back and Israel is reborn overnight. Nothing like it's ever happened in history. But God said, I'm going to do this as a sign. And stop and think about that. We, we, we all the time say, God, give me a sign, then I'll believe. He's given us signs. Are you looking? Will you open your eyes? Will you seek? Will you search? Because he wants you to know him and love him and know how much he loves you. You know, God wants us to live for the life that's to come because it's the only one that lasts. If you do know him, I want to ask you, are you living for the life and the beauty and the love and the country that's going to last? In Hebrews chapter 11, God tells us who are truly successful in his eyes. And it's the people who live by trusting him, by trusting in his promises and what he said in his word. Look what it says, Hebrews 11. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That's why God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And the people were going to hear from in this series. They've seen this land, and they've seen that city. And let me just say, the, the successful in God's eyes who live by faith, they suffered in this life. And I just want to say for a second, because I've heard some people say things like, I want to go there now, like as in suicide. And if you've had that thought, don't think it again. God has you here for a purpose 
and a plan and even through the suffering he wants you to seek him and he wants to use you to comfort others as well but you can take hope there is a hope to come the hard part is not going to last forever you know it's amazing because even blind people have seen it ring and cooper studied 21 blind people i put three of them in uh, the book imagine heaven Brad is one of them. He was blind from birth. When he was eight, he had a near-death experience. And for the first time, he could see. He could see color. He saw his lifeless body there. And he saw his roommate, who was also blind, who heard him struggle, get up and try to go get help. And then he said he passed through this dark tunnel. But listen to how he describes it. He said, I began to wonder if it was darkness. There was no color whatsoever. But coming out into a large field... The closest I could tell you about color was that the brightness and brilliance of that whole area was absolutely indescribable. I could not distinguish fine shades of color for some reason. It's possible that I could have, but I have no vocabulary to describe it. He'd been blind since birth. I felt as if I might be entering another realm altogether, an unexplained dimension that I had very little understanding of. Brad found himself in this immense field with palm trees, giant enormous leaves and tall grass and it said he said I was walking up this field it seemed as if I was so exhilarated and so unbelievably renewed I didn't want to leave I wanted to stay forever where I was this there is no way I could describe the peace and tranquility the weather was absolutely perfect in terms of temperature and humidity it was so fresh so unbelievably fresh that mountain air on earth could not even come close Isn't it interesting a blind person would notice the temperature in the environment, wouldn't he? There was tremendous light up there. It seemed to come from every direction. It was all around and everything that I happened to, everywhere I happened to be looking. It it seemed like everything, even the grass I stepped on seemed to soak in that light. It seemed like the light could actually penetrate through everything, even the leaves on the trees. There was no shade. There was no need for shade. The light was actually all-encompassing. Yet I wondered how I could know that because I'd never seen before that point. I felt like I wouldn't understand it had it happened on earth, but where I was, I was able to accept it almost immediately. Grass, trees, fields, palm trees. Yay, I love palm trees. (laughs) And what these people describe is a beauty that's not unlike earth, but with, with a light and with colors and with Love that permeates everything because it comes from God, the creator. What you may not realize is that the Bible describes a similar place, this super reality. But not many people have really read it or studied it enough or imagined it enough to see. Like, listen to what John describes scenery-wise in the book of Revelation as he has this vision of heaven. After this, I looked, and people from every nation, tribe, people, and language were there wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And he will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, New Jerusalem. And it shone with the glory of God. And then an angel showed me the river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of a main street. And on each side of the street, of this river, grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit. 
It's amazing. Brad, this blind guy, and this doctor, spine surgeon from Wyoming, and this airline pilot you're going to hear from today, and, and this pastor, and many other Christians say they saw in this near-death experience this amazing city and beauty and light like is hard to describe. And Brad approaches the city, and kind of like you heard Don talk about last week, he, he becomes aware of a thousand voices singing. He said, I remember thinking that the voices seemed to be singing in a language I had never understood, or maybe many, many languages. The music I heard was nothing like anything I've ever experienced on earth, no, nor have I ever experienced. By this time, I was getting closer to the music and being absolutely fascinated by it. I wanted to join with the music. It was absolutely precious. Within a very short amount of time, and I had no idea how much time had actually elapsed, as we've been realizing, time is of a different dimension too. But I was going up the hill, and I came to a large stone structure. I could tell that it was stone without even touching it. He doesn't say it, but he's talking about this wall around the city. They were almost like gemstones. They seemed to literally shine with their own particular light, yet the light itself was actually penetrating right through the stones. Dr. Neal described a very similar thing in the interview I did with her. And here's this blind guy describing light coming out of the, the wall and, and all this beauty. But it's what John wrote about, about the city in Revelation. An angel carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. Like jasper, clear as crystal. That's an oxymoron. Jasper's a color, <laughs> clear as crystal. And you start to see, they're trying to describe something that in our flat two dimensions, a three-dimensional description doesn't make sense, does it? But that's what they're describing. And a great and high wall with 12 gates. And the foundation of the city walls was decorated with every kind of precious stone. And the city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb, Jesus is its Lamb. You know, when I was writing the chapter on heaven's beauty... I was actually uh, up in the Sierras at this conference called Terra Nova, New Earth, kind of appropriate. And, uh, and I was sitting in this lush valley with, you know, it's just beautiful and these high mountain peaks on either side and it was perfect temperature and just beautiful air. And I just, I thought to myself, I wish my son were here. I wish Justin were here because we would go explore every mountaintop. And then I had this thought, Wow. What if that's what heaven's going to be like? Like my whole family there and all the time in the world to explore all of God's creation because everything we see will glorify him. It'll show us more and more pointing back to the beauty of the creator. And I thought about my father-in-law. He, uh, he passed away in May. Such a dear follower of Jesus. He loved space. In fact, he was the head of the space station project for NASA. And I think about what if the reason the universe is so vast is that we get to explore it for all eternity. When you, it sounds crazy, but I wonder if that's what he's doing because what, what would it be like when travel is completely different? Listen to how Dr. Neal and Don Piper describe travel in heaven. Watch this. What's travel like in heaven? 
You know? What, what did you experience? I, I probably walked, but I feel like I moved in some cases without walking. Um, I don't even feel like you have to. I think if you want to be over there, you can be over there. I, I think it's just that with way. Just thought? Yeah, just because that's where you want to be. So I don't know that movement there is necessarily like it is here. I think we still have our arms and legs, and I think we're the way that God made us. But I don't know that, that travel or movement or anything is, is necessarily like this. I did sense that I was, when the crowd parted and I'm going through and going through the gates, that I was moving, I don't really specifically remember walking. Uh, I may have, but I wasn't paying attention to that. I was paying attention to my goal, which was high and lifted up. I wanted to go up there and fall at his feet and tell him thank you for letting me come. So mm. I didn't move. I would say movement in heaven is not like it is here. We weren't physically walking, but I would agree that there are different types of travel because we were moving down this pathway, not not locomoting, mm -hmm. but uh, gliding, I suppose. But as we were going down the pathway, I was still able to hear the guys on the riverbank and see them. And one of the guys who at the time was only 18, he's a very young man, a very dear friend of ours, he kept calling to me to come back and take a breath. And I would look back and he looked so vulnerable and so devastated that I would say, oh, just a minute, I'll be right back. And the people who were taking me were very patient and understanding. And I would almost immediately be back in my body and I would take a breath. Like by thought, you were just there? Right. And then I would rejoin them. It's, uh, I mean, it's like, it seems so sci-fi. <laughs> But yet that is what God has been revealing. You know, the, the followers of Jesus, when he was crucified, he appeared to them risen. And, and when he did, you know, he could suddenly just appear, and yet he could be touched, like we talked about last week, and he could eat fish with them. But then it also says at one point in Acts uh, 1.9, it says, after Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. He just rose up. And they were looking intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Imagine heaven. When, when we are together, with those we love in the most beautiful place, and travel can happen by thought, anywhere, in, in God's great creation, exploration, or we can walk together and talk together, or communication happens purely heart to heart, or, or we can glide along, or you ever had a dream of flying? You know those dreams that are like, I wanna do that again. You ever been jealous of the birds? What if? I know it seems crazy, but I want you to hear from a man who has flown all across the globe. Our guest today is a TWA pilot who's flown 17,000 hours and landed in about every major city on this planet. But I want you to hear what happened when he, his plane flew 135 miles an hour into a 70-foot monument. No one survived. 
except him. And I want you to hear him describe flying into the holy city of God. Watch this first. You know, uh, Dale, it's been so fun. Uh, we, we've, we've hung out the last day or so and uh, just, you know, I mean, you, you are a captain, you're an engineer mind and have run, uh, have run multi-million dollar businesses uh, in the airline industry. Um, and yet this experience uh, has defined your life, hasn't it? That's an understatement, but yes, it is true. <laughs> so take, true. take us back to that day. That was the very plane yes. uh, that yeah. took the lives of the other two pilots with you. Yeah. Um, what, what, hap- what do you remember after that crash? I hovered above the crash site, watching, learning, asking questions, followed the ambulance. My body was put in the ambulance, raced to the uh, hospital, even though they thought I was dead to begin with. Their life, life came back in me. I went into the uh, hospital, but not in my body, but above it. In the emergency room, they were working on me, uh, doctors and nurses cutting my gray slacks and shirt off. It was all bloodied, and I was pretty much of a mess. But I watched this from what looked like a bird's eye view, and I saw all the commotion going on. I'm asking questions. Uh, I had this life review of one moment in my life, not all my life, just one moment of my life, and it was when I was in the fifth grade where I had uh, prayed to receive Jesus into my heart as a young 11 and 12-year-old kid, and uh, I was full of zeal for God at that time, wanted to live for Him with my life, and I was genuine and sincere, but when this flashback took place in the emergency room when I was in this accident, I realized that I was no longer that young kid who loved God. I was a kid who had kind of lost my way and uh, loved my life and loved my goals and my dreams because it was all about me. It was all about what I wanted, not what God wanted. And I was sad about what had become of me. (laughs) I mean, I still knew God. I still knew there was a God, and I did know that Jesus was his Savior, but I had lost my way along the path of living for myself and uh, but the grief and all suddenly uh, departed and I moved out of the hospital into a deep outer space uh, long story there it's in the book of course but I saw this city of gold uh, in quickly uh, this golden brilliant uh, it, it was white light in the center but it moved out and it was a a ball of heavy, thick gold light. And all the colors in the rainbow were in the white, but what I saw was the white and the gold. And as I got closer and closer, uh, Pastor John, I, I knew that this was the city, a holy city. I knew I was in heaven. You're, I, you're looking, you're coming, like flying into a city. Yeah, yeah, flying into a city, uh, approaching uh, and decelerating and descending. Why God oh, would do only that? Only God for, would do that for a pilot, right? <laughs> it's, Does that mean I'm going to be kicking a soccer ball through the gate? <laughs> it, it, it means that we're going to have to go through flying lessons here pretty soon. Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I'll help. No, but that's that's just so yeah. fascinating. It's and and you, so yeah. you're, it it did it feel like flying? I mean, no, there was no sensations of g forces or or uh, uh, physical distortion of the eyes squinting. None of that. There was no discomfort in in any way. But but travel was extremely fast, and then it began to slow down as I got near what I called the city of God. I, I knew it was the city of God, and I knew God reigned here, but he was in the light, and it was on the other side, there was a, a wall around the city. How big was the city? Uh, the city was huge, way larger than anything like Paris or London or Beijing or anything, Mexico City, way bigger than that, and what, what I saw, and I'm able to kind of quickly judge distances, you know, because you're trained to do that. But about 40 miles into the city, way back beyond the wall, uh, there was an event going on that is, uh, it's easy to describe when I write it, you know, because I can write better than I can speak. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but there was, of course, the mountains and the flowers and the air, all the things that uh, you've mentioned before. But there was this humongous crowd of people and angels that I was able to see from a long, long way away. Over, I was looking over the wall, but still on the outside of the city. And this group of people and angels were moving with the music, and they were moving in praise and swaying with the music and talk about oneness and unity and love there, there's life in music. There, there is, there, the light is full of life and, and love, and it's light that's palpable. It's thick. It, it's, uh, it has substance and weight to it, and all the colors in the rainbow are in it. But that light, and I knew, is coming from God. I, I knew it. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew this was God. I mean. It's like you would say here on the earth, well, duh, you know. <laughs> it's God. The light comes from God, but in that light is the love of God. How do you describe the love of God? Well, you spend a lifetime trying to do that. It's unconditional love. It's not based on who you are, what skills or talents you have, how much money or success you have. It's based on just the fact that you and I are the creation of God, and he loves us. He loved me, and I could hardly... I told myself I wouldn't cry this time. <laughs> you know what? I... You know, you know what's so awesome? <laughs> You're gonna make me cry. I cry. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I. You Couple know. of engineers. <laughs> Couple you of know, engineers crying. Every time oh you talk God. about this, it comes from so deep within you, doesn't it? It does because it's the spirit of God inside the spirit of His children, and I'm just one. But it's God who's alive, who has created us in His image. And when we get out of the way and we let the Spirit of God in us, then we can reflect His light and His love and His life in this world. And that's how we can 
conquer disease and that's how we can conquer darkness in this world because it's the light of God in us. It's the love of God in us. And it's that life of God and it all comes from him like you were preaching so well earlier. <laughs> all right, let's mop up. <laughs> We really are engineers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, as funny as that okay, is. Okay, so, so I want you to describe, since we're talking about the beauty, the beauty of the surrounding landscape around the city and in the city. And The funniest like? thing is you're asking me who, you know, I grew up with machines and I, I enjoy machinery. And, and then there's nothing like that in heaven, of course. There's, no, there's nothing mechanical there that I was aware of or never saw. But it's all made by God, and it's all made into perfection. Uh, how do you describe it? it? Everything's perfect. I remember the first thing I noticed uh, coming into the city was, if I may, just the grass. The, the grass was so incredible. I mean, it, it just, it was an aha moment, we would say. I just took my breath away because I, I never seen grass that was wild and perfectly manicured, yet mankind, no human being, no angel had had to touch it. Light came through the grass from the source of the light, which is God himself. It pulsated in the, in the grass itself. Every blade was not met, bent or twisted. It was perfection. It looked more like velvet, and that's just the grass. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you know what's so? You, you got you got to read Imagine Heaven because so many people talk about the same the grass, and they can't stop describing yeah. it. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, wow. I mean. You it's know, crazy. I was seared by this experience a few years after the crash. I had to find some kind of job to pay for my flight training lessons, and it just so happened God had me become a golf course greens consultant. <laughs> of so for a just year to rub it in, like, yeah. this is not yeah. even close. I would so. just rub that grass all day. Yeah, it was weird, but true story, a year and a half of my life was, was spent with grass on golf courses. That's just one story. <laughs> so you told me as you were flying in back behind the city was a mountain range. Yeah, beautiful mountains, very much like these that you just showed, uh, but uh, not mountains you would want to conquer in any way, but mountains you would just revere. What do you mean? Because of the majesticness that God created. You just look at the mountains and just go, oh, wow, oh my gosh. But maybe unlike you, because you might be there when you're there you might look at the mountains and take more time to do so but I was more interested in what was happening with the people the, the God's creation and you came down then onto the path and there were people there yeah talk about yeah. that there's a path there was a path that I was moving uh, on and uh, there's people to the left that were just congregating they were just gathering in fact it looked like a few of them were just getting in place just as I arrived and it made me think, rightfully so, I found out, that they were getting there to welcome me, to be there just when I needed them to be there. And I looked at these uh, wonderful people that were brilliantly lit with their uh, bright eyes and great smiles with genuine hearts, 
By the way, all of the light is still coming from God through the wall, through the people, through me. And these people were, at this point, I saw family later, but at this point, it was important, I think, that God had me welcomed by the most wonderful, loving, kindest people ever. And yet none were, were what we would call blood family. And when I discussed this quickly through my heart to my guides, the information came to me very quickly from heart to head that this was my real family. This was my spiritual family. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. And everybody was about the same age. Nobody was old or decrepit. There was no, you know, nothing wrong with anybody. No scars to hide mine here. And, and everybody looked about your age, if I may say. No, no, no. <laughs> 30. I joke, I joke to them. Uh, we want 30. But yeah, they 29 looked 29 is what I'm going for. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with that. But yeah, they looked around 30-ish, you know, in that era. And it was clear that the most important family is my spiritual brothers and sisters, and there's millions, millions, hundreds of millions. If you don't have family, you will love heaven <laughs> because you have millions waiting for you. And others have family in heaven already, and the great news about that is we'll be able to uh, you know, connect again and have this wonderful fellowship with our family at the, from the blood. But the blood family on earth is not like it is in heaven. We're all blood family. It's the blood of Jesus. We're all bonded together, and it's beyond words. <laughs> it's wonderful beyond words. Well, and, and we had a chance to sit down yesterday, and <laughs> Dale has so much more to, to tell. And in the, in the weeks to come, you're going to hear, because he went through that gate and met some blood relatives you did, had never met before yeah. and yeah. then saw the one who clearly took your breath away yeah. and and so we're gonna we're gonna hear more so stick with us come back um, but let's thank captain dale black <laughs>